Welcome back to Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. Thank you for joining us again. I'm your host, Ivan Lozano. And today, we have an interview with Oscar Gonzalez Diaz. This was such a fun conversation. And fair warning, it's a bit of a long episode, but it was just all really good and they didn't know what to cut. So whatever. It's the internet. You can pause it. It's a really good show. A note on this episode, we recorded this on July 29th few days before Oscar moved to Berlin, and the Monday before the shooting in El Paso on Saturday, August 3rd. Um, just today, on September 9th, there's news about ICE having shot an immigrant at a traffic stop in Nashville. Currently, ICE is holding over 55,000 undocumented immigrants in concentration camps. So please keep that in mind when listening to this episode and check in on your Latinx friends. We could use your support in these hard times. Sometimes it feels like being boiled alive and it's hard to understand how much space to give this in our daily lives. We're kind of struggling with it. You can probably hear it in our voices and in the way that we're talking about things, but we appreciate you listening. Also a note on the sound quality. You might hear that ghost that Mev and I talked about in the last episode, which was user error, I'll admit to that. But I'm new at this and we're still getting used to the settings and the recording equipment, so it will get better as we keep moving with these. Thank you for your patience, and here is the interview. Hi, everyone. This is Ivan. We're here with Oscar Gonzalez Diaz, uh, Tocayo, fellow <laughs> Ivan. Um, and we're going to be talking about his work a little bit. Uh, so, Oscar, you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> you just did <laughs> most of that. <laughs> Tell us, where were you born? Where'd you go to school? Oh, gee. How do we meet? So, I'm from Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Um, border town, border rat. I I would be like that t- transnational diaspora, Latinx diaspora member. So not quite Chicano, not quite Mexican American, and not even pocho in that sense because I can't double speak like with Spanglish or anything like that. I learned Spanish when I was a kid. I grew up in Mexico and then came to the U.S. for high school and college. And I so I went to school. It's a very long story, but just to cut it short, I was kind of like ping ponged around by my family when I was mm-hmm. very young. My parents passed away, so I became uh, the, a ward of the state. And then uh, my family, I was the firstborn of the f- both firstborns in the family. So they kind of created a rupture because they all wanted the kid. Yeah. Um, and so it, it went from being a family member and it turned into being a thing that you could have like a trophy and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in, in hindsight yeah, yeah. in hindsight yeah as i lived it it was different um and i get later i'll get into what that feels like right now with our political climate but at large uh it came to a point in my life where my grandparents said you have uh the ability to go to the u.s to learn and be there and i was livid because i had just scored my um you probably know this but in mexico you have to test for schools that you want to go into so mm-hmm. you take a test for whatever high school or middle school you want to go in and kind of that dictates yeah. your social standing i come from like the low low middle class so i'm a tourist so i want to be respected and have like this provenance and have a pennant about this yeah um and, and so what that meant was that i wanted to go to the schools that my more affluent friends were going to and i had score into the school that i wanted to go into um, and my family decided against that because for my betterment, yeah. it was better to send me out here. So I came out here, did high school, and then went back to the border. And I commuted daily for about five, four years, five and a half, four and a half, between the University of Texas at El Paso, which is where I, where I did my undergrad, 
and home in yeah. Mexico with my grandparents. Yeah, see, my family from my dad's side is from Laredo, no Laredo, so I, that's mm-hmm. like completely experience. I understand, right. like going to the, you know, you go to work on the other side and then you come back. Right. And uh, yeah, those those of us that were on the border can remember nine eleven when the lines went from oh, yeah. twenty minutes to like three or four hours. Oh yeah, right? or then like the three or four days a year right. when like you get stuck for like six hours yep. or twelve hours and you can't go anywhere because that's when everybody's something. coming right. back. Yeah, yeah, that's also where I first was um, uh, detained by. Border Patrol. That's where I learned to never travel with like scruff. Right. To always take a shower right. and look good before you go right. there because I was definitely detained at the right. bridge a couple of times. I had uh, um, IMSS, which the Instituto Mexicano yeah, yeah. the social security card from Mexico. It was in my wallet and I was crossing once and I opened the wallet to show them something and one of the officers saw that thing and all of a sudden it meant I'm going to spend the next two hours fielding questions. Yeah. I had two passports. So yeah, it was the same thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if they notice, they're like, Why they this? all know what's going on because right. they're all from there. They right. all have the same right. thing. Right. They're just trying to be dicks. Yeah. And, and, and they tell you that thing where you're like, come on. Why are you doing this? I'm like, you know, like, why are we playing this game? This charade doesn't get us anywhere. Right. Um, but anyway, I grew up in the border town, went to my undergraduate. I have two undergrads, one in linguistics and one in philosophy. So mm-hmm. I was not trained as an artist. I became an artist much later in life. And it came about through the activism that I was involved in, more okay. so than an interest in the fine arts, as one would say. What was your history with activism? How so did we were working and well, from being from Juarez, we, you either know someone or are related to someone that was victimized like a woman femicide yeah feminicide back home and so in my case it struck very early in my life and kind of radicalized me Mm. against the government and it was one of those things i imagine you being i don't know an an iranian iranian american and voting for bush and then having bush bomb your village yeah but the mexican version of that so i had voted for the president for my 18th birthday, Calderon, like a fucking idiot. Uh-huh. Um, that's how dumb <laughs> I was. So I voted, we didn't know any better. I mean, we, yeah. How I, are we I, to know? I voted for this monster, and and then all these terrible things began happening because, yeah, I didn't know any better about politics or anything like that. But the 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 work that I was doing was with other people around going to the streets and protesting and showing up and trying to you know do the thing. You're young and you just want to be heard. Right. Um, luckily for me, there were older people there that kind of directed my attention into better ways. And that's how like, it was just an involvement into human rights abuses and all that stuff. And I very anti or at that point, I was much more than now, but I was very anti uh, religion and anti the systematization of right. these environments. And in what is I don't know elsewhere in the country, but I can speak for my city. They use the religion to kind of make you feel better about the shitty things that have happened but also that yeah. disabilitates you from being a player in your own change it's kind of like go pray and if that work is going to work which is nothing right that's a very mexican thing yeah and so it just it that's where it came about and 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 and, and then i moved i had to move away because the freedom of information act came into play i don't remember when it must have been in mid 2000s maybe later but within this thing, we were now able to go to the government and ask for the information for all these terrible things that had happened. And a friend of mine who still runs this website decided to take all of the information 
for where they were finding bodies of victims and put it kind of like online and that created a lot of pain for her um, and it just became really difficult for everybody involved with those things to really go after the the, the authorities that were kind of protecting yeah. this from happening um, and that's when I left Juarez so like I haven't been back home since 2009 10 um, I went to Asia to to work and do shit out there and came and then eventually decided to be an artist came here and here I am in Chicago now that's an interesting parallel with my experience too because I haven't been back to Mexico in over 10 years uh, partly because of that because of that sort of like trauma and sort of feeling like right. it's a little bit just too scary to go back because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to find but you definitely left feeling that things were not going to be okay and some of us some of us were dumb enough to make dumb enemies that you don't know ah. like oh what the f- heck is going on here um in what is it kind of has been ebbing and flowing between violent and not so violent yeah but ultimately you just you just don't know and i used to be very comfortable going back and just walking around and feeling yeah. like i was home and that's last time that i went back it didn't feel like that it was I'm like, well, I guess I'm not from here anymore in the sense of I don't own the city. I don't, sorry, not own. Like, I can't claim the city as it is right now. Right. Because of violence? Because it has changed so much. Yeah. It's completely different from from where I saw. It's luckily for the betterment of it, there's been a lot of infrastructure building. I don't know if there's a bubble taking place or not, but it just doesn't feel like the work that I was doing in Juarez can be done again to the to the level that I could do it. Like, a lot of those relationships are have moved on and are elsewhere perhaps so then now i go somewhere else to do my little antifa activist whatever Shh, don't say that word oh um <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> yeah we're all gonna it. i mean yeah it's not like that yeah there's enough history on both of us right like this, <laughs> it's a disorganized mess like nobody's gonna get anything i don't even, right, i'm really no. terrible a bunch of fucking mediocre assholes <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so how did you get into art was that mostly when you were in in asia and where in asia were you mm. When I was in Asia, I ch- attempted to re-engage the activism. I was I happened to be in Korea, and at that point, something that really resonated with me was um, the comfort women and their stories yeah. during the Japanese occupation of, of Korea. Um, Can and you explain I was, for people a little bit who don't know what the comfort women who the comfort women were? Uh, poorly, but I'm gonna okay. try. So excuse me if I'm missing things. Um, during the Japanese occupation, the Japanese would have, and this was across the Southeast mm-hmm. Asian um, landscape they would just get these women and have them as sex slaves in the soldier camps because the soldiers were away from their families. Right. And um, it has to do with the Japanese honor system, honor roll, student honor roll, and all that imperialist stuff that they went through. But basically, they felt like they could do this to these people. And once it all went away, um, the Korean government attempted to get resolution and say, hey, admit that you did these horrible crimes and to this day they haven't so while i was there a few remaining survivors from that generation in their 80s and 90s kept going to protest and that really resonated with me so i began participating in those things and realizing that i had like no power outside of being there because i didn't speak the language fluently and i wasn't able to connect at a more in-depth level with these people other than the ones that spoke english I had nothing other than visuality to engage. Yeah. And very early, I realized that sign making was a thing, a tool that I had in my arsenal to start communicating that I was supporting these causes and that my presence there for being to them, quote unquote, white 
uh, allowed them to be like, hey, listen, the other peoples of the word, world are looking at this. And through one of my friends, she was um, studying her undergraduate in art, and she just said, hey, have you thought about like making the signs and doing these other things? And I didn't. <laughs> and it just kind of occurred to me that I could. Yeah. And it was easier to just go with someone that could give me a sentence in Korean. We would draw it up, do it up in... I know a lot of sign... I have a background through all the odd jobs that Mexicans happen to do or people happen to do um, in sign making. So I know how to do those things. And it was like entertaining. And it was um, an escape from the reality of living in, in Korea as a teacher. Um, and it just one thing led to the other. Then I realized, well, I could make this something that has more power for the people that I'm invested in. And then I started to just make more and more artworks. Uh, it came to a point when I realized that I needed to make less art and focus more on the quality of the communities. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the quality of the things that I was making for specific communities than being like, oh, this is how I think it is. But then making that obvious shift that most of us should get to or around those of us involved in in activism in those things where, where you just are, are well there's a community that i need to participate in and unless i'm listening and unless i'm becoming one with the community and having their interests at heart i won't be able to do anything that is maybe useful or earnest or i, mean, I don't know for me it's that that yeah. i was like oh i guess i'm pretending to help when i'm not a member here so i should go back to where i'm a member and help there because i don't know and is that when you went back to... Um, and that's when I came to Chicago to, Chicago to SAIC. And that's an interesting choice because you went to I, Fibers. Yes, because I was one of the dumbasses that read the pamphlet and believed it. That believed what? That believed that, the, that SAIC does what SAIC says it does. There are many great things that I learned. And I think the school, to its benefit, it is very true that the school is the city... You can do as you wish, but unless you have a plan, they're going to let you like think there. Yeah. I, I had been looking around for schools where I could go do my master's that kind of fit what I was at that point, which was a person who was not trained in any specific skill set. Right. But had like all this theoretical everything stuff happening. Um, yeah. So, um, so I was shopping around for programs, right? And I looked at different schools, and the one that made sense for who I was, which is this, I don't want to say multidisciplinary, but like multi-theoretical person at that point, SAIC sim seemed to fit the bill. And so I read through the things that they sent you in the mail and it's all that, um, and it was, yeah, it was just like, oh, I should probably go to Chicago. It looks like there, there's a good vibe going on there good community to try out and in looking through the programs i found that the one that made more sense for me was sculpture and fibers yeah so having very little engagement with what art degrees were i assumed oh sculpture is probably like the way to go and so when i got interviews for those programs in talking to the faculty i realized oh the fiber people seem to be more aligned with mm -hmm. what I need to do. And then luckily for me, Sculpture rejected me. <laughs> and I was devastated. And then um, SAIC uh, Fibers gave me the opportunity. And it was the best thing that could have happened. Because I came to work with people that really 
broaden my horizons in ways that I wasn't expecting to be broadened. Yeah, shout out to Fibers. That really is like the program that when I was at SAIC too, that was the most interesting, that had mm -hmm. the most like conceptually rigorous right. thinking that really ex like were open to really kind of allowing you to, to just do whatever the hell you needed to do. Definitely. For me, it was particularly that I could do the whole, oh, I'm the material studies person yeah. rather than the fiber because they have everyone across the board that can do most of the or all of the fiber specific things and then for those of us that are more interested in like what are the things that that where we're investing ourselves with materiality right. where it's no longer about where does what does marble represent as a formal thing and material right. a medium but more about who's mining this shit and what is the thing that creates these environments in the world and those conversations i had been exposed to through philosophy and other things but i had yeah. never seen an art yeah that's how green i was so you were thing. really green when you started SAIC, oh yeah then. like yeah. i had no interest in like half of the names that people would name. right because you know after, so that was to my advantage that it, someone was like yeah like the word uh, the work of blah 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 and then five heads ascent kind of like oh yeah that work i'd be like who the fuck is that and so it was really useful because then it would force the person talking to me to make it understandable for yeah. the layman walking from the street. And at the same time, I had enough tools in my arsenal to be like, oh, so this person does this and that. One thing that I did realize is that most of post-minimalism, post-impression, whatever posting that comes from literature and art. So they would be trying to right. tell us these really complicated theories of like oh this person was thinking of x y and z i'm like yeah but like so and so wrote 30 years before about that and so that helped like i came in very well trained into catching what the theories and the things were yeah and then transposing them into the representation of the visual uh, whatever formal object aestheticism that happens and for me that was useful because i already had a lot of language to use and it came more right. about became more about like oh, how are you making this into either an experience strategies or, yeah the, the what is the thing that you're going to be making if you have an intention how does it look on the real world and that was really effective for me because rather than becoming someone that works out of a material or a series of mediums or whatever the process might be i'm a person that's more invested in developing projects and finding ways to find those projects be effective in doing the thing that i want them to do whatever that thing is um, so rather than, than creating art that is going to go on a wall, I'm like, well, if it's on the wall, that's great. But it came out of somewhere else. So it's more social practice-y yeah. than, than, than sculpture or installation, which is what my work looks like. But those stories, I'm, 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 I enjoy like not getting all the information. So unless the people that are experiencing the work get to ask me, so how was this about? And then I tell them the two and a half hour story of how this was this x y or z thing then it's just whatever they see and i think that's very valid i find that represents myself in diaspora a lot more than if i were this universalist type of maker uh that i'm gonna butcher their name david uh, petros at uh in photo kind of i had a really difficult crit where they were Everybody in the panel, there was someone from fashion, I believe, and someone from painting and someone from printmaking. I don't remember the whole panel, but everybody from that department wanted me to do the thing and make it look like that or yeah. to add whatever department they were in to the thing. The piece uh, in question was one of those floor pieces that I made okay, yeah, with yeah. the wrestlers. And it was a prototype of that, like an early, earlier version. And I had already, I'm a very 
planned out person and it's kind of difficult to i'm stubborn and you're a taurus yeah you mentioned that yeah in the good and in the bad, <laughs> very yeah. stubborn and so this basically this um crit was about them shooting things having like a what if session with me I and me shooting them that. all down and then some of them tangentially going into other things and whatnot but at some point one of them wanted me to have like go-go dancers on top of the damn thing and another person wanted me to like dress up and do a performance on top of it and i respected the input i wanted to hear it but at the same time i was like i don't think i'm gonna do that because i'm not right. that type of person um that's also kind of a weird thing to sort of bring up because i mean when you mentioned go-go dancers you know the, the person that i obviously think of is felix gonzalez torres mm -hmm. and his work so it's like were you getting that comment because they sort of just took you as like the brown person talking about something in a different way so it's like so many of those critiques like it's like that's not about me that that's you're telling me what you think about what's inside your head you're not talking about me and that was really infuriating like you're yeah. picking up on the way that, right you're picking up what i was thinking i was at that moment like are you saying that because i'm latinx and there happens to be an artist that has worked with this yeah the one brown person you, you right, remember and you yeah. see this as a connection and you want me to inject myself in that canon and i remember saying something like well you're not going to get this because one none of you are of the mexican canon right you and don't understand two i it would take you a lifetime to try to experience what i'm trying to present here i'm more invested in you just giving me your immediate output and then that conducted everything a little bit better but by the end of the conversation they all walked out and one of them mentioned that i had seemed to have an answer to every question and i was like what do you think i'm doing here and so david came back and he's like i loved what you did there you yes you stood your ground and i'm a fan of his work because he happens to think diasporically there's things yeah. that people don't have access to right and you just have to deal with that yeah and if you don't know that then go learn something you know and i it kind of empowered me to be like yeah fuck you uh, white American hegemonic art world. I don't right. care. And I don't care for you to include me or not uh, to the point that oftentimes I've been asked to like define things and, and expand upon the thing. And I'm like, well, this is for my grandmother. That's all I can say. Or yeah. something like, well, you know, you're not from this region of the world. It's fine. Like as you get it, art allows you to do that and have that. It don't. And that's one of the issues that I have maybe with the U.S. that wants every identity to be defined in a very precise way and oftentimes these messy things that we call identities don't define themselves and for those people that are in that sort of fluid fluid state it becomes really uh, choking i'm not saying i'm one of them but i see other friends no but i mean i that's you know i, I think i think that that's something that i definitely share and that i've heard a lot of uh of people that you know have gone through saic as well or just through like the art, art school, world yeah. in America kind of complained right. about, you know, that there's that sort of remedial brownness and we have to sort of like right. justify our references right. and right. we have to justify that what we're making actually points to something, but it's not seen as valid if they don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, right. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's cultural imperialism, you know, it's a, it's denying us of, of, uh, of our own references. And that, I think that's fine. There's, that's fine because so many of us will eventually come and reclaim right. that. I don't think that's fine for Let school them. like SAIC, though. True. I definitely don't think that's fine for school like SAIC that prides itself on being international and global and has faculty from all over and brings people from all over. And that's not your own experience. Only your experience. It was my experience, right. too. And it's a ton of other people's experiences that it's a fucking Western canon that's taken into account. Right. And Period. The, the, the vicissitudes of it do not escape me. It's more that I think that I try to do 
the thing that we all try to do, which is to go against it and say like, no, I'm going to stake my claim. And then right. by the end of it, you realize, well, yeah, no, who cares? Like, it's yeah. just this one place. Right. But really you also said you also said something really interesting that in, in that you believe the, the, the sort of the spiel that SAIC said. And I also agree with that because the way that I resolve that in my head is, okay, the faculty that's giving me this critique are people that are older than me and people that have quote unquote had their moment and that's why they're now in the academy if i'm going to a school that's expecting me to develop into a maker that's going to push the avant-garde and push the way that culture operates and really be at that forefront it's not my fault that you're not understanding right. it right right and in fact if you're not understanding it it means i'm doing something right, right. because if I'm just doing what everybody else has done before me and you're, you can understand it easily, then you failed as, a, as an administrator right. and you failed as a faculty member yeah. because you're just perpetuating the right. system. And you're not actually doing the thing that you want to do, which is to create the next generation of thinkers right. that are going to change you know, the paradigm, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that was a really frustrating thing. My frustrating thing for thing. Me, the front, the main frustrating yeah, thing yeah. for me is that I saw a lot of my peers fail miserably and there was no support system to take yeah. care of them. There. Yeah, and I absolutely. thought, I was like, well, not cool like we should have more because by some of them by the time they really got their foothold on the thing it was already time to graduate it was already thesis time right and i felt that that could have been done better that that sometimes the admissions process could go a little bit better um but i'm i have no interest in like that's that for them and i've they've already owned my soul right thank you just <laughs> shout out to discover loans for sucking shit um but yeah, like I, it's a. Don't it's, worry, uh, capitalism is going to fall apart before we can pay that back. Right, <laughs> or me, or us, or yeah. us. Yeah. You know, um, but without being like too tragic about it, I had a good time because I happened to be surrounded by a group of people, and I think Fibers did its job as a as a department. All my friends are in Fibers, where they put yeah. this cohort of people that some of us we might not be as close, but boy, like we keep up with one another. And the right. ones that are close in the cohort, there's only like nine of us. We're like this. Uh, and it's great. I, I do feel like that really helped me develop my art. Like these are family, these people. Um, is it SAIC's fault? Maybe. Maybe it's my own work. Maybe it's our community work. And maybe they do do the thing. But oftentimes I feel like they come a little bit short from that. Totally. And the price tag should be maybe reflecting of yeah. those things. Um, but ultimately, like we've heard of this. We've all been at those parties yeah and at least they're also consistent maybe you know maybe that's a consistency that we all kind of like get really frustrated at the program maybe that's you know that's something for that's something that they're doing yeah and like who isn't you know like who isn't like unhappy after grad school unless you know they sort of like end up with like a solo show somewhere and you know they were fully paid right and everything else but i still love SAC. i'm still still thinking about my classes and my crits and everything 10 years down the road i i've been two years out yeah two years out and i think it was all right, I would not do it again. I would not recommend it. So any to anyone listening, actually on chat out. So anybody listening right now, if you want to go to grad school, reach out. And if you want to be convinced not to do it, please reach out because all you're gonna do is get networks, and all you're gonna do is like meet the famous hoitoides. You'll meet them. They'll give you a reference, and that's about it. When it comes to that, reach out to the rest of us that already went through that right. like mill and yeah, get get the get the connect from us. You know, and the grad school glow up lasts for like two years. So yeah, yeah. And then after that, you're kind of like, nobody, oh. then you're like, who are you? <laughs> yeah. So unless, unless you're really smart when it comes to that, which I can't say I am. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, the most amaz- it, was, yeah it was the most amazing two years of my life. I never want to do it again. <laughs> I would recommend nobody do it, but it was the most incredible time. Yeah. Um, so I did grad school and I got out of grad school and now um, I'm here. 
uh, and it's been how's it been being outside of being done with grad school because it does also just kind of yeah I think the conversation you become disassembled and it the time that takes to yeah. reassemble yourself that then you kind of figure out like oh these uncertainties that I had or questions that you thought you wouldn't find a decent solution to or even an attempt at a response start getting that um, Diana Guerrero Macia told me once in our she was my advisor and she said you know you get I get the sense with you that you're going to be one of those makers that just goes on and makes for a long time like you're not going to be flip-flopping too much and I want to say because I'm very impatient right and she's like I just want to say that you need to work on on being a little bit more patient like have some patience with yourself these things you're not going to figure it out what they are even if someone tells you what they yeah. are like even if someone's telling yeah. you exactly the answer that you need to hear, you just have to live through it. Yeah, that's like the hardest lesson of grad school. And it was, yeah, it, like getting out and being frustrated. Like, what do I go now? Like you want to do all the things and you think the world will just receive Provide, you. Yeah. yeah, like I've been away for two years now. I come, well, I haven't been in anywhere. For me, it was kind of like my own, inter my, my quinceañera of sorts. <laughs> and it was fun. Who was your commencement speaker? Uh, that, uh, that, that Instagram dumbass with the, he's kind of pervy, oh, fuck. Jerry Saltz and, oh. uh, Roberta <laughs> and, um, uh, 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 I'm terrible with names, the amazing Chicago black painter, um, Carrie James Marshall, Carrie James Marshall. yeah, yeah. And Carrie James Marshall kind of gave like a BS speech that was funny. But I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he has like seven speeches. I, I walked mean, yeah. out of that one kind of like, that was a lot he's, of fun. He's, but he's worked hard enough. Yeah. He's earned and it. And then, and th Somebody brought that up, kind of like, well, give the guy a pass. Like, he's putting his time, and I was like, you're right. Um, Roberta Smith's, I don't remember. Jerry Salt, I just remember being like, you're stealing her thunder. Shut up. Uh, and he was all right. Like, yeah, that's how, his, that's how his entertaining gig. can that guy be? Um, Mine was Patty Smith, and I cried. I bet you did. <laughs> she sang a song instead of a commencement speech. Oh, she sang. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. Yeah, it was pretty that's great. Hard to a lot, most of us cried. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and so right now it's just being here and trying to live, trying to survive. It's hard. Yeah. To say Especially right after grad school. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've been, you've been in like limbo or like this alternate dimension for two years. Yeah. I think that for most people, whether you are an artist or not, grad school is this hard pause on life. Yeah. And that whole process of figuring out, coming out on the other end and figuring out if the pause was worthwhile doesn't. The answer doesn't come immediately it's going to take for me at least i believe maybe 10 years to figure out that's about how long it's right taken thing. me to feel sort of like over grad school or sort of like i've processed it and i'm mm -hmm. not done yet so yeah, yeah be patient with that <laughs> once again it's a patience thing but it's like it's true it's it's yeah. so much like i'm still going through my notebooks right you know i'm still going i'm still yeah i'm still getting grad school out like washing it off right you, and you find like the little nuggets in your notebooks that you're like oh when did i write this or yeah. somebody said that and it just sends you off on this rabbit hole of things that you didn't resolve back then and now you can come back and be like oh what's this about it's yeah now i can explain yeah. now i can go into this yeah yeah yeah. and so to it's that's an advantage i guess that's a plus of grad school um but yeah so a strange question because i mean as you mentioned you didn't come specifically from like a very active sort of studio practice before mm -hmm. grad school but how did leaving your grad school studio and that sort of structure oh change your 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 practice and, I and the kinds of things you make or the kinds of things you even yeah. think about i was known for having the clean studio oh, okay you, you could eat on those, the floor yeah. uh, i and didn't have your like, studio was for reading the my stu yeah i did make but i only made for 
like two weeks out of, you know. Right, but yeah, right before crit week. It was no, not even. Oh, <laughs> I wish. I, I wish. I usually my crit week usually was kind of like, oh, the thing for crit week has been made for like months now. Yeah. Um, and I would just play around with things, just bring in material and kind of like test them out. I'm I like to live in with things, so I would make a piece, let it sit there, and just kind of hang out, kind of like a painting. Stare at it for right? a long time, yeah. Uh, and then kind of destroy it and toss it until. One of my professors was like, you can't keep destroying things. You have to save them. Um, and I felt like, I don't know where to put these things and all that. I missed that the studio was kind of a place where people would come in as a meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the community that. of grad mm -hmm. school is amazing. That's probably the, one of the biggest pluses for me. I, I'm very social. I don't mm -hmm. like to be holed up uh, either by choice or not. But with my studio, it was nice to have this place where if people saw my light on, they felt like they could come in and like knock and talk. Nice. And that was always nice. I always had like cookies and stuff like that. Um, and then when, when I would be making, it would just be, you know, I would organize everything that I needed to make over the period of time that I wanted to make. Kind of like a production yeah. house. Um, what do I need to get? And then get that out of the way, make the thing, and then store the thing. Uh, and it was kind of like that. But yeah, I don't miss it. When people ask me where's my studio for like studio visits and stuff like that, I come up with like some bs where i'm like oh i just have a decentralized studio practice <laughs> and and that works wonders because they're like oh what does that mean i'm like well let's get coffee or let's go on a walk and that's more like me as a person yeah and i feel like my art doesn't present much of me as a person so that's like a kind of balance that works out on my to my advantage where i'm like there's no studio because i only need it for like a period of time of making because right. i just sketch on the notebook and i figure it out because i i'm lucky enough to know my materials then I'm like, ah, there's some tests that need to be made, but I can get them done in that period of right. time. Um, and I just go from there. And that's been working. It might change, but that has been the way I've been able to make it work. See, that's a really interesting to me from what I've seen of your work because your work seems so invested in materiality. Mm -hmm. Specifically, also, like a lot of your materials, like they remind me sort of like of Tianguis, mm -hmm. the work yeah. that I've seen, you know, with the, yeah. like the soccer balls yeah, yeah. and the little luchadores right, and yeah. everything. So there's, to me, like a real sort of like Mexican tactility mm -hmm. in the making of them. Right. So it's interesting to me to hear that you don't feel like you have like a, like a making practice. Yeah. Maybe I do. Who am I to say, right? Yeah. What I'm, mean, what I'm, what I'm, well, you're the expert on that on comment. Work. Yeah. I would think I would oh, like, hopefully, <laughs> but on that comment, yes, I, I want the Tianguis to be there in the Mercado just because that's what I really, what really resonates with me from back home. I being outside and going to like the Sunday or the Saturday markets and going to the stores and kind of like this jovial nature that Latin America, I don't know, people have period. Yeah. And, and me back home, it reminds me a lot when I make these things that those moments kind of come out for myself and other friends, like you've said right now that, 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 that they are reminded of those things. Yeah. It's quite nice that, Kind of like works with like, yeah. What was your mercado or tianguis growing up? It's called Los Cerrajeros. Los Cerrajeros. Cerrajeros is kind of like blacksmith. Yeah, yeah. And Shout out to Los Cerrajeros. <laughs> if anybody hears it. And it's this, <laughs> so we have two types. We have that place in Juarez, which is known for everyone. And it's kind of where you go buy just junk and yeah. people sell whatever. Uh, but you can also get refurbished things like your console and mm -hmm. really expensive. You can stuff. get everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one is called Hoyos. And so Juarez is kind of on dunes and mountains. Mm -hmm. It's a valley, but it has mountains. And right. the city has grown so much that 
there's people that live on the mountain side and unlike other places in the u.s the mountains is not like the place where you want to live in mexico it's there's no services right um and so what they've done is they've just made holes in the ground kind of like not gigantic but right. of a size where you can have a tianguis or a mercado, oh, wow. and you just go there and there that's twofold one it because the fucking mountain it protects you from the elements the wind right. and all that it's very dusty and two it kind of creates like a really nice mini city like a neighborhood it, they're yeah, rather yeah. big and so those were the things that I, one the oyos are for buying used cars or eating the food because it's always like really bomb Oof. food like Fuck, I miss that, man. The sand from Juarez really Whoa. gives it a sound. <laughs> you know? uh, and then the other one is where you would go buy your secondhand stuff from clothes all the way to like electronics, like your modded PS4 or whatever people do these days with those things. Um, and so the, I'm that. Like yeah. my childhood was not living in those things, but we didn't have a lot of things to do and no money to go to the movies or the things that people do in other places. So we just would go to walk around these places. And because the objects are immediate, you could just pick them up and mess with them and just fuck around. And they're like shiny and colorful. I mean, mm -hmm. that for me, I definitely feel like the mercados, especially for me around like day of the dead, Dia de los muertos. Mm -hmm. And then around Christmas when they would have like all the little figurines for mm -hmm. like the, uh, the nativity scenes and like all the artesanías and everything like that for me was like my formative artistic, like visual, like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those were like, yeah, Mercados and Tianguis were like my formative art experiences, I would say. Yeah. For, uh, what? That's a question that I have not been asked. Like, what were my formative? Yeah, what was it? Visual I mean, obviously art. sign making, but where did the sign making come from, too? I mean, obviously the, the um, or at least I would assume partly the uh, activism. Well, the activism led the theory. Like, the art yeah. that I'm making is kind of like all the stuff that I wanted to theorize about the world met this thing art for me that i didn't know it was there. i've always it sounds ridiculous to say like i've always drawn because people just draw period and i've always made things with like knickknacks and stuff like that i never thought of it as an art practice that could be one yeah or like i said i didn't go to the academy to train so for me up until very recently the world of art was designed for painting and sculpture and there existed no more the opportunities of it existed no more for me. I had to be in presented with right. those things. And so it's just by virtue of wanting to experience the world. My, my, the life that I've had has been one where unless I go out and seek the thing or a thing, it's not going to come to me. And you know this right. as a Mexican. Yeah. If you stay there, you, you are very, a one mindset person. It's very difficult to become more than. There were no options. Yeah, they will crush you. The the, the culture. I, yeah, itself I left. Crush you. I left Mexico because I was going to be crushed as like a creative mm -hmm. queer person right. in Guadalajara in the nineties. There was no place for me. Yeah, and likewise here. I, yeah, it's fun to think about it, and at the same time, it's, I feel a sort of pang of sadness from my friends and family that are still there because the opportunity to have these conversations with the other let's just put it that way of whoever that other yeah. might be are not as available in what is yeah. for me and especially when what is itself is such a dynamic place where we just especially right now but yeah. even when i was growing up our our south american people coming migrating there were people from veracruz and people from yeah. oaxaca places that were really michoacan that were really being hit by the drug wars yeah and you would get to meet those people on the street and they were very much other. They were ostracized. Yeah. It was difficult, unless you were in the same environments, 
to work. Yeah, because that's the other thing. I mean, people forget that Mexico is a very varied place. It's pretty big, and it ha we have so many ethnias, uh, ethnicities, ethnicities, yeah, and we have so and many indigenous groups yeah. and accents and foods and cultures and and how tall people are we in different even, parts of right. the countries. Yeah, uh, and so those things do play a role. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've been Guerito my whole life in Juarez. Yeah. And if you see me here, like there's nothing. I look Middle Eastern, if right. anything, probably. Um, but that's just what it was. And and going out of that allowed me to see that going back there, there needs change to be made. I can't do that myself, but I right. can point to maybe others that have more power than I do to change those things. Um, the work that I in, really enjoy investing myself in, is the one that deals with bureaucracy. I love bureaucracy. <laughs> I find <laughs> I find the world to be so unfair that this yeah. stupid system that humans have made for themselves called bureaucracy. Yeah, the crazy rules around it. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's so stark, you know. Like the bureaucrat, I think, is one of my favorite types of humans. The person that is, and you see them. Like I have to be this nihilist about it these days, but. The person that's just like, I'm sorry, it's written here. I can't do anything about it. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah. but you're executing the order. Can you just not do it? And How like, old were you when you read Kafka? Never. Never. <laughs> I've, as a philosophy. <laughs> I, philosophy. That's what, like, immediately when I think of, like, the, yeah, like, the person of, like, the bureaucrat, I'm yeah, like, yep, there we go. I know of Kafka tangentially because I Oof. have, like, other things that were invested. That writing is so good. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I picked up Metamorphosis in Spanish yeah. when I was a teen, and I could not completely yeah, yeah. went over my head, and yeah, I, I was like, I'm too. not for this. And the I did philo uh, analytic philosophy, so I was all that's why bureaucracy, I'm like, Ugh, yeah, yeah, because systems and logic and all uh -huh. that stuff, um, and and so like the bureaucracy of things is just yeah, I'm like, all of you are lying to each other over this system, and those of us that try to use it are the ones that get fucked, like those that are yeah. trying to be right in using it are the ones that are getting trampled over all right so i'm gonna start lying to you and use your system to benefit the communities that i'm coming from smart and then you know like we'll go from there we'll figure it then uh because th that's been my that's been my experience with it the, the, whenever i've been straight as an arrow with these things i end up getting thrown to the side and abused and things go wrong but whenever i'm thinking of somebody else's betterment and then i'm using that to incite myself to lie about things so they get those things that we need it works wonders and i'm not saying that i'm like committing illegal activities but I'm, i go around to i'll give you this example i was doing uh, i was in berlin yeah and i was doing research on on their detention centers and so I couldn't just go in there and be like, well, I'm an artist and I want to look at your detention center because that's a red flag for them. Absolutely. So instead, what I said, I was like, okay. How also, does there's probably no code for that. Speaking of bureaucracies, like you're going to have fun in Berlin. So, the, But yeah, there's probably no code for so, artists visiting. Yeah, it's what it there is, is that there is a code for people visiting, right? Uh -huh. And so they get to decide what kind of person goes in there. And me being me, I decided, well... Rather than going in there and, and telling them that I was going to potentially criticize them, I was going to do a 180. And this is something that um, one of my professors, I th it might have been Diana as well. I think it was Lisa Weinbaum, actually, okay. that, that told me, do what you need to do, but make sure that you are not telling them how you're going to do it. Tell them something that they want to hear because they love hearing that you're like clapping or That's whatever. That's good advice. And so... What I did was for this particular thing, I reached out to SAIC and I was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. 
uh, here, you would want the thing. Can you get me in touch with someone in the architecture department? And that's all. They did. Not going to give names because I'm whatever. But what I, we ended up doing is instead of drafting a letter for, from me saying that I wanted to have a conversation with the director of this detention center, what I used was the language of architecture to speak to this person uh, as a graduate from SAIC. And as you know, the school is so multidisciplinary, you can say you whatever you want. So I was like, well, I'm interested in architecture. And they assumed that I was an architect. I was right. not going to correct them. No. Um, and I said, you know, you do everything so well. Like you just have figured out how these facilities should run. And I'm very invested in how you're doing this. Next thing you know, I'm getting walked through the plays with oh, the director. Wow. And they're telling me this is this, this is that. I'm working on a really large project that deals with nice. that. Um, but that's how I got in. And so the things that I wanted to get out of it was... How are you designing the light that's coming through? What are your heating and cooling sources? What does the piping look like? Uh, how is this cage being built? Right. And when we're building this cage, is it because it's golden any less of a cage? And right. so things like that. There's been other instances where I've had to um, pretend that I'm other. As Mexican, you would find this really funny that in Mexico, you're just kind of like, you go to any government yeah thing, no you just have to tell them that you like you're like you went to school with so-and-so's son right and yeah. you just lie to them and sometimes yeah, yeah. you're kind of like ah, oh, do you know I, I i was looking have you ever seen that what's it called trailer park boys yeah yeah the show uh, the drunk guy well not the main one but ricky i think is his name he's saying like there he's he has this thing when he ever gets pulled he gets pulled over by the cops that he just asks if they know a jerry or something like that like, do you, you know Jerry? Because everybody has like a cousin named yeah, Jerry yeah, yeah. or something in Canada. It's kind of like that, right? Like in Juarez, for example, you go to a to a government office and you can, by the age of the person, you can sort of like throw a rock and see where it lands and just use the nepotism that may come out of yeah, that. Yeah, see, I was never good at that. And, you know, I, I probably would have had a much better experience living in Mexico if I would have been better at that. At being like, I went to school with your son or I went to school with the director's somebody, you know. Because, I mean... Uh, it I definitely helps. saw people get out of tickets because, I mean, you know. I, I got out of so many tickets by yeah. saying, like, do you know. Instead of a mordida. My friend's dad worked there. Friend, quote, unquote, friend. Acquaintance from high right. school or whatever. Um, and he had been in the transitos, the traffic police. Yeah, yeah. The, his whole life. And I would just drop his name. Do you know so-and-so? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. Do you know him? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. He's like my friend's blah, 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 dad. And then they just immediately would go right. from let me help you help me or whatever they say to like, Oh, well you gotta be careful, man. Like do this or do that. And they would just let you go. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of lawlessness that we get to experience in, in these other places. Americans do the same thing. They just don't do it. So only plainly, certain of them. Yeah. You know? And so one thing that I, that, that you can't speak truth to power unless you know how to speak in a way that power can listen to. truth. Right. Yeah. Um, and for me, it meant, well, I'm going to appear to you as you need me to appear for me to deliver the message. And in this case, it's just like whatever art access that I need at that moment. Um, it's just because I hate institutions, you know? Yeah, I'm, uh, that's fair. I didn't think I was an anarchist, but I might be being... The current state of affairs might be radicalizing me. Um, I yeah. need to think about that uh, through, but I do feel that there's some self... Some sense of self that I'm trying to express through the artwork that I make and not oftentimes getting getting that sorry 
not oftentimes the institution or whatever the power is will allow, will listen to me if I just honestly present myself as that. Right. But rather kind of like let them build themselves an identity, have it run with it. And then when it comes back to checking on me, then I get to show the identity. Right. If that's the thing I might, might be using the wrong language, but no, I get it. I think that's an important point too, because I think that there's a real sort of like crisis of like naming mm-hmm. or like of figuring out what things mean anymore. Just like right. definitely like in America right now with like the left and the right and Democrats and Republicans, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But just in general, you know, this idea of like who's left, who's right, who's a conservative, who isn't what, well, you know, nativism. And it's like, we don't really even understand what kind of terms we're using to describe the world anymore. Right. You know, And I think that's something that happened because of the internet probably, but I think right. artists so when, are like, yeah, we're, we're pushing against that. We're like, what, wh- how do we... We demand at so many levels that now that we have access to labeling, we seem to be yeah. making poor use of it oftentimes. And yeah. when we do make right use of it, there's so much backlash against the correct right. move forward. Right. Um, I was cleaning up my unit and uh, my storage unit because I'm moving. A few years ago, when I was leaving grad school, somebody gave me a stack of Obama... Um, the, like the newspaper the day after the elect the okay. yeah. inauguration or whatever and they're really beautiful front pages like the time the what's it called the tribune and yeah the Chicago tribune or and something. they're really nice documents just to look at um but it kind of hurt because i was like for a moment i thought that was the future okay. i even though they i the reasons i voted for obama was kind of like a cheating boyfriend that keeps lying to you because guantama still exists so fuck you obama but the the, the reasons in why chief was, obama right the the the, the things that I was invested in when it comes to hope were there. And I believe that the future of the country at that moment in time would be somewhere yeah. along those lines of yeah. more plurality of beha- becoming, of having a moment of becoming and being that would not define us as who we are oppressing, but rather who we're help, helping come up. Yeah. And I felt like Obama was doing that. Yes. Whether, whether failing or not, like his hope was my hope. At least he tried in a way that nobody had before. Right. And so, and the, and the, and the, and the response since. to that. And the response to that has been appalling, right? Yeah. The it's okay to be conservative and it's okay to be liberal and have a response to what those in power have. That otherwise we wouldn't have a civil society where we can right. perform correctly. And in my case, it just felt like that was completely lost. Um, and so when the work that I do happens to happen, I'm thinking of okay, who am I speaking to that could have access to changing things? And who do I need to speak to that will go against this, but I need to speak to still, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Have you figured any of that out yet? I'm in the process. Yeah. It's hard. Um, to be quite honest, this year has been really difficult here. As a brown person, you know this. Yep. It's even worse. <laughs> when you're, it's even worse when you're like, I don't know, the ambivalence of where, where do I stand on on being in a sanctuary city that at the same time may not be that. Um, so this false sense of security is difficult for me. There's a lot of trauma that I thought I was over, but now I'm getting like into the more personal rather than the, for art. sure. I mean, we emigrated to this country because we were looking for something better. And then suddenly right. I'm fucking carrying my passport around with me when I leave the house because yeah. I'm too scared not to, even though I know that that's right. not anything that's that like, is going to change because they don't care if I yeah. have my passport even, or if I have citizenship, it's not, yeah, so it's they won't believe you. Period. Right, they won't believe me. You it's know, like it's fact, so it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like fake news pervaded itself into citizenship, where right. fact and belief became one thing, and now it's 
us that have to suffer it through. Right? At the same time, I think that like I'm probably more prepared to deal with this than a lot of people because this was my experience in Mexico too. Right. You know, of constantly being detained right. because they wanted a mordida, they wanted a bribe right, right, right. because of, you know, because of like the narcos and everything. I'm... So like not trusting the government, trusting mm -hmm. that the only thing you can trust is that they're going to fuck you over and steal your money right. and, and do the worst thing possible and constantly come after you. I mean, for better or worse, I kind of know what that feels like. I, yeah, for me, I don't appreciate, I, I have nothing but disdain for the people that are very laissez-faire making jokes about whether it's children in cages or that you and I have to carry our passports or that someone needs to wait X amount of days separated from somebody else in order to do or get some access. I, I'm having a very difficult time living in the U.S., as a person that believed that something like Nazi Germany would never happen again. Yep. And then feeling it so palpable coming from cities that have been court martialed, like in my case, in what is you couldn't be out past 6 p.m. And things would happen to you if you were to do that. Yeah. The danger, the very palpable danger of existing meant that wherever you went, you had to look over your shoulder. And the things without getting into them, the things that you and I or any of us that have been even here, I bet, uh, subjected to should not be exacerbated by a government that then participates in those things. Right. And for me, yeah, I don't know. I think everybody should be on the streets burning. I town agree. Hall, yeah. And we're not. And it's kind of like if I go and do it, then, then, then I mean, happens, that's something right? really depressing because in the last round of, of, of protests, you know, like it was almost to the day of like a year ago when there was another protest about children being separated at the border. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, I was like screaming my head off and none of my friends went with me. Right. And, you know, this time, like nobody's going. Right. And it's like, you know, it's I think that like as as, everything... as a Mexican, it feels like I like people are telling me that I'm crying wolf all the time. Right. Except I, I'm not. You're I, not. Can, I can I can like they were just at the fucking gay right. beach the other day and took somebody away because we lived it. Yeah, we lived it. We can see it. Connecting that to art, then it becomes really difficult. Like if I'm going to start making art about those things. Yeah then you just need me to be, be this thing, right? When do I get to experience the way the way I see the world, right. right? If I'm going to live in a constant state of trauma where my work has to be a reaction to that, then the possibility of a better future is never going to happen. Correct. And for me, at least, I find that I'm probably not going to get that future, but I want to imagine it. And I think that a lot of these things are just taking that space to imagine them. And I turn to my peers um and ask them like so how do you how do we move away from how do we move forward with this and oftentimes it's just kind of like you just have to shut it down and i don't know how to deal with that i'm having a really difficult time yeah like just shutting it down because i've had what does that even mean to me it would be like not to be on the thing reading the thing and screaming your lungs out that this is happening in whichever fashion it is because i've seen others that either happen to be POCs or, or just invested in those in our communities kind of do that kind of be like well I need my mental health for this or that and I'm like fair but then at the expense of what you yeah. know because I was I've been on the other side I guess is what I'm saying like on the activist see, side on no the I've been on the side or... of like getting crushed I, 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 oh. I I'm I, right now I'm the person with the privilege to say something yeah but for so much even in, within my own family and my own government and my own spheres of influence, 
many a time I've been the person that is getting crushed. Yeah. And that wasn't fun. And no, I remember living those existences and just the thought of reliving them is really there it, goes. it goes away. It's a fucking ghost in nice. the thing. It's like, Ooh. yeah. And for me, it's just kind of like, yeah. It, what can I do about this right now? Yeah. And in trying to figure that out, maybe other art things will happen. But in the process, I'm very much kind of, it, it's an emergency, right? It's, yeah, I've, I've been dumb enough to read a lot and figure out that there's a lot of horrible things that happened. And then seeing them potentially happen again yeah. is really scary. I feel like it's not an option to not read it for me. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, it's it's soul crushing. But like, I don't have the option to not do it because I got to watch for the signs is how right. I feel about it. You know, right. Um, what strategies have you come up with to sort of safeguard your own sanity mm-hmm. um, to keep making work or not? Or how does the work fit into it? Yeah, Being the type of person that I am, I am very vocal about these things in my immediate community. So at work, they already are, I'm assuming, fed up with me. But also, there's only like three brown people in the yeah. damn workplace. So, I, of course, everybody is kind of like, uh, about me being so anti-capital and anti-government at this moment. And when it comes to work, then knowing that there is a way in which the art that I make allows me to continue creating spaces where the Latinx diaspora, in this case being a, a Mexican, can expand the understanding of the contemporary Latinx body and society, that we're not those things alone. And that gives me a, a little bit of hope, especially because I can turn away from the U.S., right? Yeah. this canon, Western yeah. canon that we talked about a second turn away from the US and those things are still there the populism is worldwide but at the same time I'm, I find other places where they're kind of like yeah we see what you're talking about we see how you want to scream or we see that you're doing this very beneficial thing um, which are the projects that I really invest myself in the projects that are going to be for my community for the advancements of those communities and finding ways to say okay there's all this power here let's Find a way to distribute it among our members and then redistribute it among our community so then everybody's coming up. I, I'm I'm one of those people that don't want to have champions yeah. uh, as like main things because the moment they fall, they take the thing with them. I'm really scared about AOC because yeah. I love her, but at the same time, I think that we're putting too much pressure on what the person is. It's unfair. The, That's not... Yeah. Right. Like, why aren't we doing what whatever made someone like AOC come to fruition, let's have like 20 or 30 more. Yeah. You know, it would be so great. I'm not saying we know how to do that. What I'm saying is like, let's invest in how we make that happen. Right. 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 And I show, I'm sh- just because I don't know, doesn't mean that is not happening. Uh, <laughs> I would want it to be more like louder. Right. right? Like who's yeah. my Chicago AOC? I would love to know. And I, I don't know. I went and spoke to my alderman when he was um, doing his thing. And the conversation was, kind of like okay you're you're half in the pocket of people and you're not right and at the same time this is how this is and that's fine um but to make art that speaks to those things for me at least as a non-chicagoan is difficult but what what i can make art about is how is it that the people that are here that come from where i'm coming from have invested themselves into creating this new thing so that the expansion of the of the diaspora is not calcified into like this is what it is but rather that it's continuously morphing and that the work that I'm making allows that sense to come through um, with the soccer balls. It was the intention of that project was connection between two diaspora, 
two sections of the diaspora, bringing them together. And by the way, this was a show that you had at the Chicago Artist Coalition That's called... That's right. Swoosh. 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 Whoa, I'm terrible. <laughs> I've got my lap, iPad right here. I, just got, so I can, I can I double check for you. hit in the head as a kid, and <laughs> I have a very difficult time with names. Um, yes, yeah, Swoosh. I don't even remember the names of my pieces half the time. I don't either. I feel bad because people say like, oh, it's like my child. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to be forgetting my kid's name. I have the internet. I put it on the internet. I don't need to remember that. There you go. Like the internet knows it for me. I just have to. It's kind of like phone numbers, right? Yeah, I don't need to remember that. Let's Google it real quick. Uh, And so so that piece, the intention was to bring together those two things. But the other piece with the wrestlers that you mentioned earlier, for example, Mm -hmm. the intention was to bring together non-diaspora members to an intention of what diaspora might be, right? Like, are we back walking on the backs of Mexicans or are they supporting us? Or is it both at the same time and none? And what is pattern when it extends over the borders? And, all and to stuff? describe this, this, this was something that showed in um, a show at 6018 North. Yeah, that's how... Living like, Architecture. That one. And then there was a, it was also at my MFA. Yeah. A version of it was on my show and then some other small things. And this, what you did is that you tiled a bunch of little uh, plastic. They're... they're yeah, PVC, PVC casted. figurines of of of, of luchadores, yeah. and so that you find in all the tianguis mm-hmm. in, in Mexico, right. and usually they'll have maybe like a parachute with them or something. Right, right. you made a floor out of them, so people right. were walking on them. Right, I made the you cast them all one by one. So too. the floor, yeah, so the floor is made out of uh, these because it's the same figure, and it doesn't have joints. It doesn't move. It's one figure, one hand pointing upward and one mm-hmm. hand pointing downward. That creates a pattern. So the moment you figure out how to put them together, you then you have a pattern, right? A repetition of motifs. Um, and that idea came out of be, coming to the U.S. and seeing all these Mexican things that were not Mexican things in the Mexican sense. They were just more <laughs> like Mexican-American things now. Yeah, like what? Sarapes, for example. Um, that up, <laughs> There's sarapes and there's ponchos. There's ponchos, yeah. And there's... Um, oh, my God. I forgot the name of the third one because I'm been working all day anyways but then for americans they're all ponchos like all of them and some of them are used as mantelpieces others you're supposed to wear no for them they all go on like a mantelpiece and they put like the weirdest shit on them like chips and salsa and i'm like yeah nobody does that it's weird but it was interesting to see how they commodified this thing from being something that could be i don't know like a, a representation of the culture that you are bringing into your country. Yeah, and it was a it religious was like, object. You know, that episode were meant for protection. You right. Know? And all the, yeah, all that conversation, all that textile history and all the religious history and all the narratives that may come out of the object are just completely lost. Yeah. And that's fine. What was interesting for me as a Mexican was like that nobody was saying, hey, but at the same time, it's not, they're not all ponchos. They're not right. all sarapes right. or whatever. Um and the other thing was that I walked, I went to somebody's house once uh, and they had a sarape as like the bathroom doormat. So like it wasn't that big. It was, you know, two by four or something like that. But it was on the floor. And to me, it was kind of like that. And I thought for a second, like, let me check on this. And I looked at the thing and it was handmade. It was hand woven okay. on a loom. And I was kind of like, this thing wasn't designed for that. If it had been, that's fine. But this was designed probably to like hang on, uh, like as a uh, on the wall. Oh, or yeah, something textile like piece. Yeah. But yet these people saw it fit as something that could go on the floor. And to me, that was kind of like, nah, weird. And that kind of like began this whole thing of what are the signifiers that we might have? Because the piece, 
that this, this recipe, all the wrestlers have their fronts painted. They're all um, Mexican wrestlers. Yeah. So if you grew up in Mexico. Are they specific wrestlers? Or is yeah. It just, okay. So El Santo is there, Blue Demon. And like, if you are a super fan, then you probably can name them all. If you're not, like maybe you and I, you have like a passing understanding and they're there because of life. Um, you Then you just recognize some of them, but that gives you that access. And to me, yeah. that's really fun. And knowing that they have their faces, like if you were to pick one up and look at them, it's this person. And to me, pattern is important. And human humans' more imme- most immediate pattern happens to be skin. That's like the most relatable thing, whether you're socialized or not. You see it and it relates to you because you see it on yourself. And, yeah. so, and so to me, it was kind of like, I'm going to make this piece where, yes, these characters have the character, the the pants and the mask that I've drawn on them, painted on them. But as people walk through them, they're going to erase that and it's going to go back into the bare plastic. And so the intention was to think about, well, ultimately there's this, because of the, of the process of the casting, they turn into like a brown, it looks like my skin, yeah, uh, a brownish, pinkish hue. Uh, and some of them get darker. And, and so to me, that was kind of poetic and it's also and like a happenstance from the process of doing the piece. And so then that relationship that I was interested in between the person walking and not the maker, but whoever the makers could happen to be was, exa- was, was brought to the front by that peeling off of the pain and the person walking on these things, not that they did, but if they cared to take a moment to look at the characters or the figurines or whatever, would start making these connections that were important, that are important to me yeah. between... What about those levels of meaning? That's an interesting thing. You know, you're sort of saying a lot of things and I'm kind of just thinking of like, oh shit, he's talking about my work. But (laughs) um, those levels of being able to read into the work, that sort of like polysemism or whatever you want to call it um, or however you want to pronounce it. How important is that to you and how does that relate also to going back to the tianguis or just Mm -hmm. to sort of the things that were around us in Mexico that sort of like created our visual identity? Because I feel that like, it's something that 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 that, that um, in a lot of our work, I sort of see often that we're trying to kind of maybe salvage, maybe in parallel. It's not necessarily like remake. It's not like I'm, we're making another sarape, so, but it's using sort of like the conceptual underpinning or like the formal considerations of the artesanías. So you're gonna like this because yes. I've been thinking about that, and I came with the work. Okay. We're not we're not salvaging. We're rehabilitating these things for our for our contemporary selves, right? That others have turned yeah, into that's, shit. Yeah, that's, that's and you're like, you fuck say. you. This is yeah. mine, and I get and me, my people made this, and I get to like use it how how I think it should be used. Yeah. right? and so yeah, I, that's something. The levels of meaning for me is on one level that I want my best friends who have almost no education to be able to understand them and get something out of them, um, and then another level, those of us that have been theoretically academically trained and want to get deeper have enough space for that to take place and that it's in that in my case is it is this size that is intentional it's yeah. not kind of like oh you found this thing in the work i hadn't thought about that if those things happen great but i do i do i work from writing so my projects oftentimes begin as a thesis what is it that okay. i want to do and then from there i write out the whole project and that goes through many revisions before i even get to building or making or constructing anything and so in that process, what that allows me is that rapid prototyping ideation of like, man, maybe mm. this is not here. Maybe this is there. And and oftentimes I do use my friends to give me crits, but they don't give me crits over the object. Because by the time I get to an object, 
then it, the crits are more formal and that's when I kind of like give way because I'm not that good at formal elements. But before that, I do have a lot of questions and conversations with my friends where I'm throwing these balls at them, telling them like, oh, like identity this or that or whatever it is that I'm invested in. And they're giving me their feedback and I'm taking that and putting it into that file of what it is to write out a, a piece. And that's because I work from A to B to C to D. I'm not like a more holistic person that can just go everywhere when it comes to idea making and object making. I wish I were. And the times that I've tried to do it, I failed miserably. So, so for me is to try to get that the levels, at least the ones that I'm interested in, which is the immediate and then the, the, the physical. Yeah. And then if there are other senses that can be activated, great, um, are very important. So text and visual for me are the two things. So, so I will draw out what is it that the thing aims to do. And nobody needs to know. It's just more like what's the intentionality yeah. behind it. And then working through that, just knowing that I have an objective, right? That however someone else might interpret the thing, that's very respectable. But eventually the thing that I'm for will be there first and foremost. And then all the other conversations can happen. And that's wonderful. Um, I don't know how effective my work is at doing that always. I don't think it's our job to figure that out. Yeah, but sometimes when it does do it, that others do it, I'm kind of like, oh. I figured, I didn't figure it out, but like I got it there for yeah. once and you get a little pat yeah. on the back. What is the lifespan or sort of the life cycle of the work for you? Like, do you think about it once it's done? It does it sort of like, uh, does it have a life after you? Does it exist for you? Or is it more of like, here's a question, because this is what I'm sort of uh-huh. getting from you. It's like, I found a question. I want to investigate it. Here's all this work to get to it. Yeah. I investigated it next. Hmm, how do you feel about your work when it's done? I don't like my work. Okay. I'm, but I think that's more like ever. Very or, rarely. Okay. I'm like, oh, this is, even that floor piece that I get so many flowers thrown at me for, I don't feel like it was that great. It is that fantastic for what I've heard from other people. Um, if you disagree on the, whoever's listening to this, thank you. Like, I want to hear how I can make it better. Cause that's even more exciting maybe for makers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I also think, though, like as artists, if we liked what we made after it was done, then why the hell would we ever make anything else? I think that being unhappy with what you're making is like a completely important part of being an artist. So, yeah. So let me take that. Because what you said, like there's this. Yes, you described it correctly. There's this not question, but like this insight that I want to get out of something and then the process and the object. And what I do is kind of it's a very hegelian method mm-hmm. and moves to the next thing <laughs> and then that's again, kind of what i was getting you know, at yeah it was like coming, yeah. and then you get to the thing um and and so just making sure that in the background the question the answer that i thought i was getting or the possible solution could have the other next step where it's already more refined and if i find that i've said enough then i move away from it and if i find that i haven't said enough that i continue on it um what has happened after grad school for me is that my projects have become more and more long. Like the production process is way longer now. Right. You're not bound to semester schedules. Yeah. yeah. So where it used to, like my MFAPs, which was these casting of these things, took a year and a half to make. And had I not been so planned, I wouldn't have been able to pull it off at all. Yeah. Um, but now, now that I'm out, I kind of see the world as, oh, what are the things? And so I have like different things, different plates spinning or whatever they say yeah um, different balls in the air yeah 
and to try to figure out that in that process of like the conversation and then the answer moving to a level higher or lower, whatever that might be, that it is something beneficial to what I'm trying to examine, what I'm trying to think about. Um, I really like my work when I'm thinking of it and when I'm making it, even though I hate making it, yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying the process of thinking about it. And then when I present it, I like to hear what people say, of course, whether it's good or bad, it's just good. But ultimately, it's for like a very specific audience. And so if the audience gets to examine it, then I'm really invested in the answers that they might have or the response. If it's not the audience, I'm there and I'm all for it. But ultimately, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of like becoming insular. I'm becoming this person that is kind of like, well, if you don't like it, then I don't know what you want me to do about it. And I'll just like walk away from it, from that conversation. Because the response that I've been having from the people that I think of when I'm making my work has been a response that I want to get. The criticality from my, I don't know, from another person from Juarez that is looking at the work that I've done around feminicide, they're kind of like, oh, yes, here, no, there, and this. And, and so those responses are very elucidating. Whereas if it's someone like another SAIC or oftentimes I'm kind of like, well, yeah, what do you know? Like, not maybe maybe that's dismissive, but it's not like what do you know? But it's more like well, well, it's not your audience, is it? Yeah, for me, it's more yes. Like it's just not my audience, and in that case, I'm kind of like well, yeah. Let's why are we talking about this? Let's go do something else about it. Yeah, because I find myself sometimes petrified by the things that you want to tackle as art making comes and getting dislodging from that moment of like what do i do about this takes a lot of more introspection you mean in the production of in it? the production okay of it. yeah yeah um the presentation of it i'm very laissez-faire about it like i'll kick my own work and i'm like whatever it's done because by then i'm kind of like on you're done yeah i want to go on to yeah, the next thing the fun part's over yeah mm -hmm. and and i think that's a lot of us um or I want to assume, I would love to assume that actually I want to believe that that's all of us. That's what I meant to say, yeah. Because if it's otherwise, then you're making products, right? Like, F off. Oh, if God, I wanted that, to make yeah, products, that conversation. you know, that's a different thing. And and I've been asked to make products and I'm kind of like, no, I'll give you the thing. I don't want to make more of it um, because I have no ambitions of, you know, making those things. And I'm scared. I'm really scared. I've seen other friends and people that are in the art world that have kind of gone that way of saying like well i'm just gonna make this one thing to support the other thing yeah and that's necessary and fair i don't think i would be able to if i i think i i'm this kind of person if i were to start making like a product thing i would just go full on that and just do that yeah. You know what I mean? I can relate I'm, completely. And I'm yeah. scared to be like, oh, what if I like it? What if I like like the comfort? What if I like like just the money and not having to worry about these things? And like I said, the life that I've had is being with a lot of want. And that's always put a fire on, under my ass where I'm like, mm, rent has to be met or whatever. You know, yeah. I'm, being, I'm exaggerating yeah. when I say that. But there have been times where I think had, had other things that really created the person that I, might, that I am right now not happen. I wouldn't have taken maybe those leaps of faith. That yeah. I ended up taking and I'm grateful for to myself for having that mentality sometimes other times is not good period but when it works it helps and I think that that's something that in art I don't see as much we don't have like these power players that we see in other spheres of art 
available to the degree that other ethnicities maybe if you want or whatever yeah. have them and i think i want there to be more people that have like these degrees of of engagement that doesn't require you applying to a thing you knowing someone but rather that there's a, a more idealistically proletariat everybody is just going to do the thing and that just doesn't happen as much as i would like it to and i just say that because you know i grew up with black metal and punk and i don't know if you've listened to that music but you don't need to learn a lot of it to be able to play it you just have to have kind of like a certain yeah energy about it and i don't see that in art uh i see it in art with like for example the saac undergrads those motherfuckers sometimes pull out like masterpieces that you're like holy shit why isn't anybody like doing more of this right and so those spaces that we need don't we don't have and i want to make those spaces who gives you hope though i mean other than like saac undergrads which we'll put a sort of underline or sort of <laughs> little uh who gives you hope but for yeah artists yeah for artists are just like in 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 terms of just because i'm in the lump especially for you i think like into an intellectual curiosity and like an artistic practice mm -hmm. are like sort of indistinguishable for you it right. seems yeah who right. are the people that like when you feel stuck or when you feel kind of hopeless about what you're doing, you kind of like go to reach back or mm. think about or consider. Well, I like reading a lot of Quine, Willard von Norman Quine. It's a logician and he's very dry, but I really enjoy that his dryness and his ability to deliver language in such a specific way helps me kind of, um, trim off the excess that I have. So if I'm stuck, like I said, when I get stuck with art, I will go and start writing, either typing or long form. And I go to people like this guy to try to find the language that can, that doesn't bring all the baggage of like a bunch of adjectives and all these things. Um, if it's visual, I don't know. I really like Doris Salcedo's work. Okay. And I made some cement things that for the semester that I had him out, people were like, oh, that's like this. And then I'm like, no, she's far better like at whatever this is talking about than this. Please c quit comparing us. And then I got really into how the poetics of the work spoke to my specific identity of being from Juarez and being in a system that was broken and having the government not do anything or care and like the accumulation of violence and excess of its detritus around me. And so when I see her work, it really hits close to home with whether it's the dressers, whether it's the shoes on the walls. It just, yeah, it's like, I don't have any artist that has brought me to tears. That's close. That's a really interesting read on Doris Salcedo that I hadn't considered because I do think that like, there's an implied context to her work mm -hmm. that is so interiorized for some of us right. that also that, that, you know, the, the, when they're in the space, like the MCA or wherever, mm -hmm. it's like, it's not the kind of work that necessarily is benefits from that lack of context of the, the white cube gallery. Yeah. And unless you, and unless you're kind of giving yourself the option not to think about it through that lens, you're going to walk out of there just seeing how the curatorial work was done for it yeah which I was could, great let's just say that oh, was yeah. a fucking fantastic amazing curatorial work like yeah. that was a great show but and but yeah my advantage was just that 
I happen to be more ignorant and not, yeah. and not, you know, already close enough. And that's, you know, the beauty of being an artist. Sometimes you just find things. I find a lot of woodblock printing to be work that I really enjoy to look at. Geographically, any specific sort of... Anything. Okay. If, if it's on wood and it's carved, laser hand, whatever you want. For me, it's the seeing the layers of process on the mm. paper. I Like I said, sign making. And so... I get a kick out of it, just seeing how, and then sometimes figuring out the puzzle, right? Like trying to invert it to see it. And so at the Art Institute, they oftentimes have many really good exhibitions on woodblock printing. Yeah. Um, that's something that as a process, I'm really, that I turn to just to get ideas. Um, I didn't learn Photoshop, but I wish I had, because I know people work in the layers. And I think that would have been something beneficial for me to figure out. Um, but that's like a process that I like to go to. Yeah. Um, and I've used it in the past. Mm, what else? Uh, for media, these days, I am i don't really watch television. I get really like anxious and frustrated with it because I'm thinking, I'm looking at something that is unreal when like worse realities are happening. Um, so maybe I should get back to, but for a while I played a lot of video games to try to just get, I enjoy ludonarrative okay. environments. And so, for me, my work often, or the more that I do the work that I'm currently making, it's all about there needs to be an engagement thing. You either walk in it, you kick the thing, mm. you have to put your thing. I don't know. But I like that one is a gimmick because it creates like an impetus for me to have something to develop for that. Yeah. But on another end that I get, I you get a sensorial engagement. And so the ludonarrative aspect of it is that the activation of that and that unless you're doing the activation there will not be the continuous furtherment of the piece um whether it's you're like stepping on and off of the yeah. thing or whatever it is um the soccer ball things they're not touching those pillars and so it's a tensioner structure so yeah. you can push them and they dance and i really enjoy that as a poetic nod to the dance of the three fucking nations not being able to get it right the nafta at that point yeah and so yeah, that's the, those are like the things that I'm like, hmm. As for like fine art artists that I'm like, oh, I love this person. I wouldn't be able to name you one that I'm like obsessed because every I think like everybody, there's like two or three things that you fall in love with and then two or three things that you're not going to love. But I obviously love Gonzalez Torres or anyone that came out of that uh, movement. Post-conceptual or yeah, yeah, when brown people started doing conceptualism. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, even though we've been doing it uh, forever. And so... For for me, anything that falls under that, but nice. not. I don't know. I've been seeing. A, I've been looking at a lot. Of, do you know what a speed run is? No. Someone beats a video game in like crazy time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And they find like exploits, like glitches and stuff like that. But that makes sense. I mean, that makes sense with like the bureaucracy, because I mean, games are just a sets of <laughs> sets of rules and regulations. Right. So yeah, figuring out how to like bend them to like yeah, that makes total. And sense. I'm really, I thought I don't use them other than like as fodder for my own thoughts because i'm not gonna make a game and i'm not gonna start playing video games at mm -hmm. this point of my life i have better things to do with my time but i can spend the 15 minutes to see someone beat legend of zelda something something in that time yeah what is more important to me is that it allows me to sometimes think about okay how does that look like how does that system look like when you put it on a detention center when you put it on uh the border back home when you put yeah. it at whatever it is like does it change something and in changing that what new insight can we can we get 
and if it furthers my causes, then I'll use it. If not, I'm just like, oh, that was interesting. And kind of like just move on. Put yeah. it in a notebook and wait 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Find it some other time. Yeah. So, Oscar, last question. Um, and it's kind of a double question. You get to pick which one you want to answer. Oh, uh, <laughs> what advice do you wish you would have gotten when you were younger? Uh, or what advice do you want to give somebody listening to this maybe in 20 so like years? A, letters to my young self. Then. Letters to your young self or letters to like your future clone self. Right. Yeah. For those of us listening that happen to be of color like you and I, um, find someone who can advocate for you and that has the earnest to tell you things for your betterment that sometimes you're not going to want to hear. Find a mentor. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, please ask any of us to connect. But finding a mentor that can kind of see ahead the pothole you're going to fall in. Because you can't see those. Yeah. I could tell you like, oh, you're going to do this and that. But unless I know you, I won't be able to see that you're maybe sort of in, make, in the path of making a mistake. And that mistake might be good, but there are ways in which these conversations can take place where the mistake is for the betterment, right? Like mistakes can be really good. Yeah. And, I, and I've never had that until I went to graduate school. Before that, it was kind of like by myself. And it's very solitary. Like I did. It's exhausting. Yes. Especially when you're writing. Uh, like I started my master's in philosophy. And writing without like that mentorship was really difficult because then you get just like beaten, pummeled down. Something that I would like to sell, say to myself, I've always moved across the world and thinking that life sucks and then you die. And I think something that I should have told to myself that I wish I could is that, yes, it sucks for everybody and everybody's going to die. But you need to find the people that, it, that make it not suck. Because it's that's what matters. Yeah. To me. Yeah. And so, like this conversation today was a shitty day. I was at work all day. <laughs> it rained like a. God, mother. this weather was horrible. It was pretty crap. And then, like super soggy. I had to carry my suitcase around for X, Y, and Z reason. Uh -huh. But then, I, like at the end of the day, I knew I was gonna talk to you today, and I was kind of like, I'm gonna spend at least an hour talking about things that I love to talk about. That makes up for that, right? And so, thinking about not meet with your friends grab a couple of beers and like just party but rather than you that you are concise on finding the spaces where your creativity where that part of you is going to be fed is important and so i wish i told myself don't worry dude you'll get your two hours to just rant about how this is this and that is that that's fine chill um but at the same time like like that, that you wouldn't have listened to yeah yourself. the inability yeah. to chill yeah is is what keeps me but yeah i that's it well, Oscar, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Thanks for um, listening to my rambly ramble. Of course. No, that was amazing. Um, are you excited about Berlin? <laughs> I am moving. So, <laughs> I'm very excited to be moving uh, there for, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how, I, like you, you and I were talking before this about how Mexico City is becoming the new Berlin. Yeah. And so for my German friends, do they think Athens didn't work about, out? Yeah, but you and I, the way they, you and I think about people going to Mexico City right now, like, mm, do you need to be here? Um, in my case, I've been there enough times, and I know the market of art, if you want to call yeah. it that, that my work is finding a better foothold there than it is here. Um, and I'm super forward looking to whatever, um, coming back here and then having my friends from where they go, because. I've been, I've been a nomad since I've been ten years old, and so I'm yeah. very used to being not home and not having one. I mm -hmm. mean, when my grandmother passed away, that was like 
the end of it, there's no home for me anymore. And so friends make home and oftentimes them visiting or you going to visit um, makes up for a lot of that. You know, having a friend couch surf for at least for me, I just want to like cook breakfast, take him out to all the things, show him all the things, kind of like dump just how I'm like right now blobbing on and on kind of just dump everything that i know yeah. about the place that i'm in to them yeah you know so i'm looking forward to that nice well uh stock up on mexican food because you're gonna miss that dude I've, been, <laughs> I've gained like 10 pounds just having tacos almost every other day good also cheeseburgers because germans suck at garbage. making cheeseburgers yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so garbage. but there's five guys now i think in okay. some places well i don't know about this yeah um, they definitely have them in spain i know that oh so just move over to Madrid and they have Will Mexican, Mexican food to... and five guys. Is Mexican food any good in Spain? There's some in Madrid. Well, okay. we're, we're going to stop the recording. So right. we'll talk about those like um, Lonely Planet tips. But thank you for coming. Thank, thank you for, for the recording. It's and been we'll talk soon. And there you have it. Thank you all for listening. And please follow Oscar on his Instagram at Gatio, G-A-T-I-I-O, and check out his website, www.oscar-gonzalezdiaz.com. That's O-S-C-A-R-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z-D-I-A-Z.com. Also, follow us on social media, Archives and Futures on IG and Facebook, or our website, archivesandfutures.net. Subscribe to the podcast, soundcloud.com slash archivesandfutures. Hopefully we'll be on Spotify and Apple Podcasts too by the time you listen to this. And new thing, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash archivesandfutures. Your support means the world to me and will help us keep this podcast going. This podcast, Archives and Futures, was recorded, edited, and produced by Ivan Lozano. Theme music by La Spacer, a.k.a. Natalie Murillo of Tropiteca. You can find her at laspacer.com, and that's L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R. You can also find her on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, and Instagram at laspacer, L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. Share this podcast, and we will catch you next time.